Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Got through Numbers chapter 18, and so tonight we're going to start on Numbers chapter 19. <coughs> Let me um, open in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, thank you very much for, uh, for this evening. Thank you for this nice place to gather. Thank you for this group of people that, that took time out of their schedule to come and study your word. I'd ask, Father God, that you'd be in our discussion. Help us to uh, really seek you. Help us to ask ourselves the hard questions and help us to listen to each other as we have discussions and, and to realize, you know, I've, I've learned, Father God, doing this, that you teach us through other people. Uh, just help us to listen to each other. And this is an exciting section of Torah, and I just uh, appreciate it and ask that you'd bless us as we go through it. In Yeshua's name, amen. I like Numbers. Numbers is a fun book. It's a really nice book to do after Leviticus because Leviticus was such a challenge, you know. Uh, and so there's a lot of action in Numbers. Um, last week, I always like to review just a little bit, the passage we ended on, we had, <clears throat> uh, we talked about the, the way God said he was going to choose who was going to be the leaders of the of the priesthood, and he had everybody put the, all the leaders of the different tribes put their rods in front in in front of the uh, ark of the covenant. And the next morning, the one who's budded would be the one, and it was Aaron's. We talked about all of that, and we, they went into chapter 18 was about duties of the priests and the Levites, and it basically talked about uh, what their what their uh, tithing responsibilities were. Hi, Alfonso. Um, and we got some stuff out of that. So tonight we're on chapter 19. Does anybody have any comments about where we are or anything they want to say about stuff we've talked about? Okay, then we'll just start. Chapter 19 is uh, interesting. It's, it's a little bit long. Um, it doesn't divide very easily, so it's probably best just to read the whole chapter. It's about 22 verses, and then we'll go back and look at it in some depth because it's a it can be a little bit confusing the first time you read through it. But if we go through it and look at it just a sentence at a time, I think we'll understand it. Would somebody like to read chapter 19? Did I? I didn't start too early for you, did I? I didn't start too early. Okay. Okay. Somebody like to read chapter 19? You want to read that? Okay. You can read it. Do you? You're, I bet you'll want a microphone. Okay. Here we go. Such a soft voice. <laughs> no, it's not a problem. Okay. Hashem spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the decree of the Torah, which, which Yahweh has, has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and, and they shall take to you a completely red cow, which is without blemish, and upon which 
and upon which a yoke has not come. You shall give it to Eleazar the Kohen, and he shall take it out to the outside of the camp, and someone shall slaughter it in his presence. Eleazar the Kohen shall take some of the blood with his forefinger and sprinkle some of its blood toward the floor of the tent of meeting seven times. Some, someone shall burn the cow before his eyes, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and with its dung shall he burn. The Kohen shall take the cedar wood, hyssop, and crimson thread, and he shall throw them into the burning of the cow. The Kohen shall immerse his clothing and immerse himself in water, and afterward he may enter the camp, and the Kohen shall remain contaminated until evening. The one who burns it shall immerse his clothing in water and immerse himself in water. He shall remain contaminated until the evening. A pure man shall gather the ash of the cow and place it outside the camp in a pure place for the assembly of Israel. It shall remain as safekeeping for water of sprinkling. It is for purification. The one who gathers the ash of the cow and the one who gathers the ash of the cow shall immerse his clothing and remain contaminated until evening. It shall be for the children of Israel and for the proselyte that, get, that dwells among them as an eternal decree. Whoever touches the corpse of any human being shall be contaminated for seven days. He shall purify himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will become pure, but he will not purify himself on the, but if he will not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become pure. Whoever touches the dead body of a human being who will have died and will, ha will not have purified himself, if he shall have contaminated the tabernacle of Yehovah, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water of sprinkling has not been thrown upon him, he shall remain contaminated. His contamination is still upon him. This is the teaching regarding a man who would die in a tent. Anything, anything that enters the tent and anything that is in the tent shall be contaminated for seven days. And any vessel that has no covering fastened to it is contaminated. On the open field, anyone who touches one slain by the sword or one that died or a human bone or a grave shall be contaminated for seven days. They shall take for the contaminated person some of the ashes of the burning of the purification animal and put it in sprinkling water in a vessel. A pure man shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle, sprinkle upon the tent, upon the vessels, upon the people who were there, and upon the one who touched the bone or the slain one or the one that died or the grave. A pure person shall sprinkle upon the contaminated person on the third day, on, on the third day and on the seventh day, and he shall purify himself on the seventh day. Then he shall immerse his clothing and immerse himself in water and become purified in the evening. But a man who becomes contaminated and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the congregation. 
He shall not have contaminated the sanctuary of, Hash, of Yehovah because the water of sprinkling has not been thrown upon him. He is contaminated. This shall be for them an eternal decree. The one who sprinkles the water of sprinkling shall immerse his clothing. And the one who touches the water of sprinkling shall be contaminated until the evening. Anything that the contaminated one may touch shall become contaminated. And the person who touches him shall become contaminated until the evening. Okay. So it's, this seems really complicated and a little bit, yeah. Yeah, a little bit weird. So we'll just kind of go through. And there's a couple of things to kind of note at first. Um, it has to do mainly with ritual cleansing, ritual purification after coming in contact with a dead body. Okay, that's really what it's about. It's about ritual purification. Um, and you know how God is about that kind of stuff. That what happened to Nadab and Abihu, right? They came before him in an, un, uh, an unclean state and in an unorthodox or an unprescribed manner. And they were killed, right? So that's, this is to avoid that. Um, why might that want, why might this chapter be here? Why do you think this might be a reasonable place to put this? This is just a guess on your part, on my part too. Yeah, Charlie. We didn't do a review. <laughs> well, we did do a review. You just, yeah, you just. So kinda, when you were, when you yeah. were mentioning that about the, about the cat, when you mentioned about the cat, the car, where they were about the blood and, yeah. and that, I just got interested because the, uh, on how they really mixed all that. That's, I was wondering, how they mixed that, you know? Well, we'll talk about that. But okay. you don't have an idea about why this would be here, this particular uh, portion. That's, that's okay. I really wouldn't expect you to have that yet because you missed the last couple of weeks anyway. What do you say, Lisa? Well, I would think it's because they're cleansing the temple. I mean, they're cleansing. Well, the, that's what the purpose of the red cow. Okay. The red heifer. So, okay. Why? Didn't uh, well, I get the I'll, right answer? Okay. No, you didn't get the right answer. <laughs> what, what happened last week and the week before? What was the big event that we dealt with? Korah's rebellion. How many people died in Korah's rebellion? Like 4,000. A lot of people died. So how prevalent would being in contact with a dead body be? There was a whole bunch of being messing around with dead bodies happening because there was dead bodies all over the place, right? Wasn't, yeah. didn't Aaron have to run out in front of the... Yep, Aaron had to run out in the middle to stop the plague and with right. the sensor and everything. So and they, they were, people were dying. And like I say, I think it was over 5,000, I believe was the number. But a lot of people died. And so... That's the only reason I'm saying this is not just out of the blue. Let's talk about this now. There's, there's probably a good reason for it. And, and again, it kind of helps focus. It's got, to do with, it's got to do with being ritually clean, but it has to do with how you become ritually clean specifically after you've come in contact with a dead body. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that. Okay, we'll talk about okay. the red cow. Um, so let's describe the process as we go through. I just wanted to, first of all, kind of see if I could put it in some sort of a context. Um, what's, the first thing you, what's the first thing you have to have in order to do this? A heifer that's red. A heifer that's red. A heifer, <clears throat> which is a female cow, that's red, which has never had a yoke, right? So it's never been used to pull anything. 
And uh, yeah, Marvin. It's it's never been, no, it's never been given birth. It's a it's a, a virgin cow. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's supposed to be it's pure red been, without blemish. It's never been caffeinated? It's never been caffeinated. That's very good. I like that. Uh, it's a decaffeinated cow. The, um, <laughs> the, the sages say that if they were to examine the cow and find more than two non-red hairs, then it wasn't, it wasn't allowed. It had to have 100% red hair, or uh, say 98% red hair or something. It, it had to be... Unblemished meant it was red, you know, for whatever reason. So you took this red cow, and what did you do with it? What was, what was the procedure that was done? First of all, who started it? The guy that, who's this, who's this written to primarily? It says Aaron, Aaron and his sons, right? Uh, this is a requirement of law that Aaron has commanded, tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without blemish. I'm in the beginning of the chapter. Never been. Give it to Eleazar the priest. Okay. And it's to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Now, how common is this? Uh, slaughtered outside the camp. It's, That's, usually, it's usually done in the camp, isn't it? Yeah, well, we're going to find out that there's tons of symbolism, but you're right. Yeshua was uh, sacrificed outside the camp. But the point is, is there aren't any cases where animals were sacrificed outside the camp. So this was unusual from the beginning, right? So you took it outside the camp. Um, and Eleazar didn't do it, but he watched it being done, right? That's what it says, you watch. It's to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eleazar, the priest, is to take some of the blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. Now, this was confusing to me, and I'm still confused, but he's outside the camp somewhere, okay? So he's not near the front of the tent of meeting. But it might be like us when we stand and face uh, Jerusalem and when we do the uh, Shema. So may maybe he basically was out there and he, he caught the blood and he, he sprinkled the blood in the direction of the front. Or maybe he did this after the fact. Maybe he had the blood in a basin and he went up after that. I don't know. But anyway, it's, I guess the reason, well, I'll let you, what do you think the reason for that particular part of the command might be? Well, can I just say, before, You don't like my questions. No, it said, I was just thinking it's odd that they say someone. I, I always found that odd. I always thought that was interesting that it would say someone will slaughter the animal. Yeah, they don't define No, it doesn't define, but you get, it is. I think the idea was, and certainly historically, it was a Levite, right? It was someone that worked, if you will, for Probably. Eleazar and, and the priests. Right. Okay. It just, it's an interesting thing that it just says something. Well, there's a lot of interesting things about that. There's, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. But what, what was your question again? I forgot. <laughs> oh, that why he spares it towards the, yeah. towards the thing? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> the only answer I might come up with is just to make sure that everybody recognizes, you know, uh, it's about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that we're, we're doing this. You know, just make sure that he's facing the, the tabernacle. He's saying it's, it's about that God 
You know, they're out in the middle of nowhere to some degree. They're outside the camp doing this. And he just wants to make sure and say, this is to the God. That's my opinion. It could be something else. Yeah. So then it says, uh, while he watches, the heifer is to be burned. It's hide, it's flesh, it's blood, and offal. You use the word dung, same thing. It's basically, what does this look like in terms of the prescribed sacrifices that we're familiar with? It looks like the burnt offering, except that even the burnt offering was cleaned. This one wasn't even cleaned, right? We're at uh, chapter 19, Numbers 19. So the, this is unusual in that sense, too. The entire animal was burned in total without even having, you know, been butchered properly, if you will. Um, and then he's sitting there burning, and what else happens while the bull is burning? I'm sorry, the calf, the heifer, the heifer is burning. What gets added to the fire? Cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool, right? Okay. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and then he may come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. So what happens to the priest when he's out there doing this? He's unclean. He becomes ritually unclean. Right. Right? He becomes ritually unclean, and he has to go through a process in order to, to become ritually clean again. So this, is, this has got unusual things written all over it. This is just a really unusual thing. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too will be unclean till evening. Comment? Yes. So this is the only olive tab in this chapter. Is that right? And it's uh, in the Hebrew order, it's uh, shall gather ve'asaf and a man ish Tahor, that is clean, standalone olive tov, up the ashes of the heifer. So it's verse 9, and it's the fourth word in the Hebrew. Okay. So, the, um, so far, the real unusual, there are several unusual things. One thing is a red heifer. Another thing is that it's burned completely. But the, to me, the one that sticks out is the one you were saying, Janice, is it's uh, outside the camp. And this is, uh, sacrifices aren't done outside the camp. Sacrifices aren't done outside the tabernacle, right? We read a, a rule about that here a few chapters back where God said, I don't want you to be performing offerings other than at the tabernacle. And so, we talked about why, that was, uh, why he wanted that done, right? So, so this is unusual. Yep. So the question is, this man, mm -hmm. this ish, it's out in the camp, does he become unclean? He says it does. He says but, he does. The and, man but, who, who but, burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with the water, and he too will be unclean till evening. So there's an unclean man outside the camp for the purpose of cleaning or purifying the people in the camp. Yeah. Okay. That fits. Okay. Okay. What's what? A heifer, a heifer is a female cow that has, as Marvin said, hasn't given birth. So this is a, typically a year-old or two-year-old kind of a thing. Can I say a funny story? Yes, I like your funny story. So a month or so ago, I was reading my tweets, and somebody was complaining that 
they'd put an ad in the paper in Craigslist to sell a heifer, and they put in the wrong phone number. And so he's getting all of these cars, calls, hey, did you, you know, did you sell your heifer yet? And he's like, what's a heifer? <laughs> what's a heifer? So yeah. I tweeted back, that guy's not going to make it on whatever that, that, uh, that singles list is for farmers only. That's if you can't pat, if you can't answer that test. Yeah, you pretty you can't much can't know what a heifer is. Only. Mark has something. A couple of things. Um, mm -hmm. I couldn't see that it said sacrifice, so I think it's a slaughtering or burning. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is the place outside the camp is traditionally thought of as um, the Mount of Olives. Okay. And there was a causeway or a bridge that went across the Kidron Valley. The priest would walk from the eastern gate straight across due east to this place, which was, if you remember, purchased by David as a place for offering. So it's been bought like the Temple Mount, wherever that is, would have been as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so they would face this heifer facing towards the eastern gate when they would burn it on a pile of cedar wood stacked. Yeah. There's a really cool graphic of it. But, uh, yeah, this was traditionally called the place outside the camp. And um, the remember, the eastern wall of the temple in the Talmud says it was three feet shorter than all the other walls. So that I believe so they could see this spot. But, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, and now your first point was that this was not a sacrifice. Is that what you said? That's what I'm looking at what here. You're looking at. It so, just says uh, a slaughtering. Yes. Well, that's a good point because, um, you know, the, the other things that we read all about in Leviticus, they were the typical translation is sacrifice, but it's the korban, right? Yeah. And the idea is to draw near. And this is not necessarily to draw near, which helps explain why it's so different. Yeah, this is to be the source of the ashes. It's not necessarily to draw right. near. Yep. So that's a good point. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, the, that's the whole goal here is to get the ashes, right? That's what you're after. So this has only happened a few times, right? Like six or seven times? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. Okay. Okay, but the ashes um, are supposed to be used in what? Water yeah. for purification for sin. So yeah. wouldn't it be like a sin offering? No. Um, we'll, get, we'll get to that in a minute, but let me, let me answer the question outright. It's not necessarily for the purification from sin. It's for purification from ceremonial uncleanliness. It's for, essentially, it's for purification from having come in contact with a dead body. Okay. That's pretty much it. At least that seems to me that's what it's for. But you have to have a dead body to do it. A dead <laughs> yes, cow, anyway. Yeah, good point. Fair point. So we're in verse... Oh, do you have something? Okay. I'm just wondering if the, the dead body would be considered our dead flesh the, also. Oh, absolutely. It certainly could be. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, one of the things that comes through this, if you ask me, is the whole idea of baptism. Yeah. These, these guys are, are forever washing their clothes and then washing and and coming up clean, ceremonially clean. And um, the ashes, I think, are a cleansing. Actually, ashes clean the up ashes, the antibacterial, antifungal, Ashes are a core component of soap. <clears throat> yes. 
So, so what they're doing is they're cleansing their own flesh that's mm-hmm. dead so the spirit can live? That's right. Um, let's go on. Verse 9. That's kind of where we are. We'll, we'll tie all this stuff together here in a minute, I think. Um, it says, a man who is clean. This is, I guess, probably like the next day because this thing is going to sit there and burn for quite a while, I would think. But it says on verse 9, it says, A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp, which is that place you were talking about, Mark, on top of Mount of Olives. Um, they shall be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification. Oops. From sin. Bobby, I was wrong. There it says right there. From sin. Um, the man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean till evening. This will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the aliens living among them. So you can't come in contact with these ashes without becoming unclean, which is kind of a strange thing. Added later, because this is just for purification. Oh, it doesn't say of sin, huh? Okay. No. You could, you could have found, does your say of sinner? Okay. Well, this, it, it, the text, the Hebrew text here. I know. We're supposed does, to think yours is always right. No, I'm just saying, though, in this case, it doesn't say that in the Hebrew. That's all I'm saying. That's I'm not That's saying that. That's Lisa. I'm sorry. You know, you're I'm so, not trying to you're say so much that fun it's, to tease you. It's, it's the pure word. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, now, that's a good example, though, actually, of, of stuff that happens in the translations, right? Because well, I'd, I'd be more willing to believe that yours, you know, that the word sin doesn't, uh, doesn't appear because of what yours says. What does yours say, John? Why don't we look at the Hebrew? Why don't we look at the Hebrew? Kata. Mm-hmm. Say what? Kata. What is that? Right. Sin or sin offering. Strong's number H2403. Okay. I don't know where it's used. I was thinking of... Uh, uh, it's the verse, last word, last the end nine. of verse 9. The very end of verse 9. Mine says, from sin. Hey, tet, olive, top. And that means sin, huh? Well, it, I, I don't have it. It's often my translated as sin, evidently. Yeah. Mark will know with the other places it's used. I'm trying to think. I'm thinking of. Okay. Okay. All right. Yet something but else it, I but don't But it's understand. interesting that it's just looking at the, there's an olive top at the, the second half, and the first half is the het. Okay. Like the het and the tet. But in any case, given that that's not real clear in my mind, the man who gathers up the ashes from the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean till evening. So just messing around with these ashes makes you unclean. Now this is getting to the, who was it mentioned this a minute ago? The, I think, if I remember right, the tradition is, well, you burn a whole heifer to say nothing of the cedar and all the rest of the stuff that goes along with it. Uh, you're going to have a lot of ashes. And you mix a little of these ashes with water. And that water is used for the cleansing, for, for purification, right? So they ought to last a long time. And 
from, I guess, the tradition, I don't know whether it's true, the tradition is that they've only had nine red heifers in the history of Israel. And they're, everybody's waiting around for the 10th red heifer. And the, uh, I don't know, Jews believe the 10th red heifer is supposed to be uh, the, they're supposed to be, well, yeah, and it's supposed to be, this process is supposed to be followed by the Messiah who is going to get the ashes of the red heifer from the 10th one. Uh, I don't know about that, but that's, that's what I've read. Mm-hmm. Well, every, every few years you get some rumor that, oh, they've got a red heifer now, and they're sure it's a red heifer and all that, but then you don't hear about it for a while, and then another three or four years passes and you hear it again. I've, I've heard that at least three times. They always, well, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Do you have something? Excuse well, uh, me. I'm sorry, that's Pat. That's okay. Um, in this matter of the, um, whether this was for the purification for sin, mm-hmm. isn't the whole idea of getting these ashes to take inside to the temple area to be sprinkled then there's where the sin is being taken care of, not out there? Well, uh, you, you may be right. Let me, if the way I understand it is that um, a priest takes some of the ashes and mixes it with water. That becomes the water of purification. Now, the way the rest of the chapter reads, that water of purification is used in a sprinkling fashion uh, for people who have come in contact with a dead body. Well, my reason for saying this is that you implied that um, the only place to sacrifice had always been inside. Mm -hmm. So that would excuse there being a sacrifice outside the wall for sin, not because they take the ashes inside then to complete the usual formalities. That that, that could be. That could be. I I don't know. I'm not, not that up on this. The whole thing is a little bit confusing. Bobby? Does it talk? Well, but it, okay. Uh, go ahead and say what you said again for the camera. <laughs> okay. Um, in 1918, it talks, mm-hmm. though, about a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it upon the tent and upon all the vessels, and upon the persons that were there, and upon him that touched a bone, or yeah. slain, or dead. So it, again, outside. Yeah, it's outside the tabernacle. And the, the tent they're talking about is the tent in which a person died. Yeah, yeah. Is, is the hyssop used for, uh, like when they're trying to do Lashon Harah, or the... the uh, the purification, the, the, like the bird and all that stuff? Yeah, of the, of yep. the yep. fungus and stuff. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes sense because, I mean, it's, that was the sin that they had. They were <clears throat> talking against God, saying mm-hmm. that he could not take us into the land. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is a little bit after that. Yeah. The hyssop, I gather, there's a couple. Of, the hyssop is uh, it's the thing you use to do the sprinkling. The, the picture in my mind, I'm always a real physical kind of guy. The, the, you know, they dip this hyssop, which I guess is a kind of a, leafy thing and, and in the water and then it comes up wet and they do this and that, mm-hmm. that sprinkles the water of purification. Okay. Yes. The hyssop is a antiseptic and an antibacterial. Mm. So um, so it, that's what it does. It cleanses all of those bugs right okay. out. And it also has carbocol in it 
and um, and that also cleans out the bacteria. Okay, good. Um, you don't have anything? We answered you. Can't believe we answered your question. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. So we got through essentially verse nine. Okay, and then verse eleven starts a little bit of a different. This is uh, verse one through ten. I think basically tell you, you know. Here's how you get it. Here's how you get this ashes, okay? Then verse 11 says, Whoever touches a dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. He must purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and the seventh day, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone and fails to purify himself defiles Yahweh's tabernacle. That person must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him, he is unclean, and his uncleanness remains on him. So that sounds like Miriam, doesn't it? Sounds like what? <clears throat> Miriam, she was unclean for seven days. She was yep. Yep. a leper for seven days. Yep. yep. I, there, yeah, there probably is a tie there. Um, I think one of the, the purposes of this is to basically say, this is serious. You know, don't... One of the things that would be difficult for me if I were in this environment would be, you know, it's, it's difficult to understand this. I don't, I don't really get it. The, uh, the lack of being ritually clean is not obvious to me. I mean, you know, I, it's not like, oh, I see, there it is, I need to get rid of that. It's, it's something that's happened to me because I happen to be in contact or around a dead body. And that's a, I don't know, it's just something that, that I, I struggle with. But, and, but God says it's a big deal here. <laughs> yeah, I struggle with that too. That, but what I'm looking at, um, again, as far as the tree or cross that Yeshua was on, do we know what it was made of? No, that's a good question. I... Because they mentioned the cedar, they mentioned the hyssop, mm -hmm. um, the scarlet thread, mm -hmm. I assume for his blood, mm -hmm. and the water being poured out with the blood mm -hmm. mixed with the ashes, which would be part mm -hmm. of the body, and the calf itself wasn't torn apart or anything yep. so and then point. you had someone who was clean to remove the heifer outside or the mm -hmm. ashes outside mm -hmm. meaning when they took down Christ from the cross mm -hmm. type thing yeah, that's so, good there's one of the things that also in that long in that line of thinking is that uh, us atoning for the dead or us being dead in our sins and yep he died outside the camp in order to provide us with the purification that we need to be able to come back into God's presence. So um, that all fits too. It, you know, yeah. Um, just, you, you know, we don't understand it because we don't see it kind of thing. Well, we don't see God either, but that doesn't mean in another realm, if you will, that's an important issue. But just because we can't see it, yeah. we, we hear about it, we shema about it, yeah. so we should act accordingly. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I would, it just, it's a real natural tendency to when you don't understand something, or I should say for me, I have a real natural tendency where I don't understand something to kind of dismiss it as not important. But that's not the case. It's the, the problem's mind. <laughs> it's, you know. it's like the doubting Thomas. Yeah, right? yeah you, you need to pay attention. And I think the, the function of verses 11 through 13 is to tell you this is important to God. And, and I'll, I, he's okay with the fact that we don't understand it now, but we shouldn't give up on it. We shouldn't dismiss it as unimportant. We should work at it, if you will. So... I've gotten more out of studying this this time than I did the last umpteen times I've been through here. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. 
you, you've been preempted. It's, you know, it's okay. So what is the Almighty saying through Ezekiel when he says, I will sprinkle clean waters upon you and remove the heart of stone and the heart of flesh? What clean waters is he referring to? It almost has to be this, doesn't it? So could the waters of purification be the thing that turns our stony heart to flesh? That's what you're saying? Mm -hmm. I have a couple notes about the clean water. One is Numbers 8, 5. The Lord said to Moses, take the Levites from among the other Israelites and make them ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. To purify them, do this. Sprinkle the water of cleansing on them. All of this mucky muck that's going mm -hmm. on. You know, between the third day, because on the third, you know, supposedly at three and a half years or whatever, you know, there's some things happening at, at It could be something seven, like that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Well, it'll be fun thing, to but, find that out whenever we, yeah. we get there. Um, verse 17 tells basically the, the what they do, actually. Verse 17 says, For the unclean person put some ashes from the burned purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle the water on the tent and the furnishings and the people who were there. And as Polly pointed out, back whenever we were setting aside the Levites for service, they were sprinkled too. You must sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or someone who has been killed or someone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third and the seventh day, and on the seventh day is to purify him. Um, we're supposed to be pure, so when you become impure, you're missing a mark. Okay. It's not that we're, we, we, always, we oftentimes look at sin as this, it's, it's missing the mark. Yeah. And if God's calling for purity... If you become impure, you've, you've missed the mark of purity. This has got to be rectified. And so we just got to understand it's not so much that this is some, you know, you've, you've done something horribly wrong. It's just that impurity has got to be rectified, and this is the way to do it. Yeah, and I guess with that in mind, the idea that, you know, the fact that we're going to come in contact with dead bodies often with no, you know, through no fault of our own. It's not like we're out looking for one, you know. Something's going to happen, and we're going to come in contact with a dead body. It's just, it's just something that makes you impure, and we have to take care of it. That's a good point. Good. I beg your pardon? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure, sure. Yep, she says if you work in hospice, you're going to see it a lot. So is this why Eliezer is mentioned and not Aaron, because Aaron was could dealing very with well all be. these dead bodies? Yep, I think it could very well be. Um, that was the other, the other thing that's interesting about this to me is you touch the ashes and you're unclean. But you, you can use the water and, you know, that's why it said somebody else had to do the sprinkling. The guy that got the ashes and put them in the jar and put the water on him, he's unclean now. But the guy, you get a different guy, it says. You know, another guy comes in and puts the hyssop in the water and does the sprinkling. He has to be clean already. So that's a, there's a, stuff, a lot of stuff going on here. And I'm sure, actually, I'm really sure that somewhere along the line we can make all this fit in with what we know Yeshua has done, but I'm not quite there yet. Yep, that's a good point. Yeah, he's, he's, he's this clean one that's doing it. 
Well, I wish that I could give you total and great clarity on all of that stuff, but that's where I'm at on it. Are there any other thoughts about this? You've seen a lot of symbolism. You've all mentioned some of it. Okay. You want to go on? I like to see you all thinking. That's, that's good. Given that you're thinking you're not bored to death. Well, that's where we're going. Water from the rock. Chapter 20. Um, who would like to read the first 13 verses of chapter 20? Alfonso. Our uh, good reader. <laughs> nope, no pressure. Yeah, don't stumble. <laughs> and the children of Israel, all the congregation, came into the wilderness of Sam in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for congregation, and they assembled against Moshe and against Aaron. And the people contended with Moshe and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brothers died before Yahuwah. Why have you brought up the assembly of Yahuwah into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? And why have you brought us up out of Mitzrayim to bring us to this evil place, not a place of grain or figs or wines or pomegranates, and there was no water to drink? Then Moshe and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tent of appointment, and they fell on their faces, and the esteem of Yahuwah appeared to them. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Take the rod and assemble the congregation, you and your brother Aaron, and you shall speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give its water. And you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their livestock. And Moshe took the rod from before Yahuwah as he commanded him, and Moshe and Aaron assembled the assembly before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moshe lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and much water came out, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But Yahuwah spoke to Moshe and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to kadosh me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you do not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with Yahuwah, and he was kadosh among them. Okay. Thanks. How dramatic. Um, I bet, well, one of the things that jumps out, or usually jumps out at, at, for other people at this chapter is, man, alive, don't these guys ever get tired of griping about not having enough food and life being tough and all this kind of stuff? And so one of the things I think is important to point out is that, uh, let's see, if you go over to chapter 33 in Numbers, just flip over to chapter 33, um, and in well, basically, verse 36. Numbers, what, yeah. Numbers 33 and about uh, 36, it says, They left Abernoth and camped at Etzion. What, 
what 33 is. Numbers 33 is what you could be called in, in the AAA, AAA, it's what they call a triptych. This is, uh, this, is, this is all the places they went to, okay? Numbers 33 lists all the places that the children of... Are you going um, to show us on the map? Uh, well, I, that's a very good... I appreciate that. You got it up there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know. It must be up there for a reason, huh? I'll get around to it in a minute. But uh, the, uh, the, the reason I'm pointing all of this out is over here on, on verse 36, they left, they left Etzion Geber and camped at Kadesh, in the desert of Zin, they left Kadesh and camped at Mount Hor on the border of Edom. And at the Lord's command, Aaron the priest went up on Mount Hor where he died. Um, we're going to get to there. We haven't got, you know, Marion just died. We just read where Miriam just died. Um, the next few pages we'll read that Aaron died. But I guess the point I wanted to make is it's highly likely that 40 years have passed between chapter 19 and chapter 20. Um, they've spent the larger part of 40 years. They, this is toward the end of their time in the desert because the rest of Numbers is taken up with their trip north and up, uh, up toward the plain of Moab. Okay, now's the time to use the map. My theory, if I can get this thing to work. Here's uh, Kadesh Barnea where the stuff we just read about happened, okay? Now, where they go from here is they go this way up there and my map doesn't go far enough, but they, they basically camp out right here, and then the whole book of Deuteronomy happens right here, and then they cross the Jordan River, which is right there and not shown. Um, so it's, more, it's pretty likely that they spent uh, the vast majority of their 40 years right around in here. <laughs> so the reason that this, this, this thing looks familiar says, if only we had died when, let's see, did I do that right? Yeah, verse 2 in chapter 20. Now there's no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before Yahweh. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert? Why did our livestock die here? Blah, blah, blah. You know, no water. Same old story. We've heard it 14 times. But these might actually be the younger descendants of the ones who who did this just two or three chapters earlier. Uh, this could very well be the tail end of that generation, if you will. So um, I just want to point that out, because it might not be the same people. You have a trouble with that, John, huh? Well, <clears throat> maybe not. I guess when you're complaining for 40 years, it's just natural to keep doing it right up to your dead. <laughs> Fair point. Fair uh, point. But, uh, you know, it could be, I mean, it could be that this is the the end of the beginning, I guess, uh, or the beginning of the end, I'm not sure which. Where, I mean, I, I like your idea that there's this big time gap, mm -hmm. but is it this... Oh, I don't know. I'm just wondering if this could be, that this, con this dialogue could have happened right after all these events, and then, and then nothing for 40 yeah. years. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, just keep that in the back of your mind. It's... I it, it's my hypothesis that's not been proven that uh, these guys are more than likely the sons of the ones that actually got them this, the 40-year sentence wandering around the wilderness. Why, why would they say that, though? But for the same reason that their father said it. You know, we're tired of wandering around the wilderness. Or are they just acknowledging what their father said? I don't know. No, no, I don't I'm think sorry. they're acknowledging it. I think they're, they're, they're making the exact same grapes. You know, they're saying, my gosh, 
You bring us out here to kill us? We've been here for 35 years now, and here we are just wandering around the desert. What's going on? I'm just making this up, of course, but, you know. Anyway, it may not be right. I have a, I have a comment on Miriam. Yep. Okay, what's your comment on Miriam? Well, it's just interesting that, uh, I mean, I, we brought up last chapter that it was seven days that they were unclean, right? The, mm -hmm. And that's what happened to Miriam, and now the, her, the, the end of her life is brought up in this chapter, her death. Okay. I'm just making a connection, that's all. Okay. <laughs> well, the Jews say, they say that Miriam was responsible for the water and that when she died, water wasn't coming, just automatically coming any, out anymore. Well, they, what, they make that, that, that's interesting. That's what, that's okay. what the rabbis so say. When she died, the water left too, huh? Hmm. That'll be... I'd like to see the scriptural support for that, but yeah. Uh, Marvin's got something, John. She's aqua woman? <laughs> you know these guys have been walking around in the desert for 40 years. I bet they've been doing this the whole time. We're just, they're just, could be, just documented could, this one. Yep, yep. As, as a matter of fact, you could be exactly right. It could be it happens over and over and over again, and we just aren't told about it. We're only told about the important stuff. Yeah, but, that, that's, uh, a, that's a good point. I yeah. mean, it's like... There's a whole much more that could be written, but who cares? These, yeah, guys, yeah, are, yeah. these guys are losers. I mean, if I could be blunt about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so they come, they go before Moses and Aaron, and they're complaining again. You know, why'd you bring us out here to make us, you know, starve to death and no, no grain or figs or grapevines or pomegranates and no water, you know, no water either. So what, what do Moses and Aaron usually do? Get the deck. They, they go fall on their face in front of the, yeah, hit the deck, fall on their face in front of the tent of meeting. Uh, and that's exactly what it did. Verse, verse 6, Moses but, and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of Yahweh appeared to them. And Yahweh said to Moses, what he's, let's read very carefully what he said to Moses. Well, go ahead. This is deja vu, isn't it? Oh, I mean, yeah. Not, not the complaining part. We are, we're all aware, yeah, but aware that, of that. They do this all the time, too. Well, but... You know, if you're out of water, you're out of water. I'm going to complain too. Okay, fair, so, fair point. I mean, before I think they went three days and they didn't have, and they were complaining they didn't have water. Well, yeah. you die after three days, so yeah. that's so, legitimate complaint. So, it, it, okay, symbolic. Even though it sounds like they're griping, they may have a legitimate complaint. Yeah, it's fair point. Fair point. So, starting in verse, uh, what is it? Eight, eight. Let's read eight. This is exactly well, okay. Seven. Yahweh said to Moses. These are his exact words, at least according to my nearly inspired version here. Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So God gave them very explicit instructions, right? So he wasn't angry with them. He's not going to, no, no. you know, steam isn't says, coming out of his He says, go talk to the rock, right. and the rock will deliver the water. Where, where is the, is it in, uh, what is Paul's letters talks about? They followed the rock. Isn't it Corinthians or? That's kind of related to this. Okay. So Moses, this is verse 9. So Moses took the staff from Yahweh's presence. Where would the staff have been at this time? Where? Where would he have gone to get the staff? 
Yeah, it's in front of the ark. Yep, in front of the ark, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of the rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and the livestock drank. So, you see, it's, it's a subtle thing, but you see the difference between what Moses did and what God told him to do? Yeah. So what's the great sin? Well, we'll find out. We'll talk about that. Well, the thing is, I agree with John that God really wasn't mad. And, and Moses took it on himself to be angry. And the other thing is, and, and you know, he was sort of treating, he was sort of standing in the place of, of Yahweh, mm-hmm. you know, to be doing this mm-hmm. and saying that, you know, and that's why God said, you didn't set me apart. You didn't set me apart mm-hmm. and you didn't glorify me, mm-hmm. okay. you know. Wait, let's pass it to your, well, okay. We'll get you, Marvin. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just looking up the word rod, and um, in Hebrew, it is the mat-teh, mat-teh, and that rod means it's the mem and the tet, which is a picture of the water, and the tet is the basket, so the rod is, is a container of water, and, it, and um, in the Strongs, it represents the, um, the branch. So, you know, he is the vine, we are the branches. So the rod is the branch, which is us, and from out of us flow rivers of living water. So the water came from the rod, which was within him, okay. which is in us. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything, Marvin? Yep. John loves our table arrangements. This is wonderful. <laughs> no, I'm just looking at this whole journey that they're on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're sitting here giving them a hard time, which probably looking at it from God's perspective, they really are pretty bad, but mm-hmm. they're not a lot different than we are. Oh, heck no. Yeah, man, they're I give really you that. Yep, yeah, I give you that. Well, and, and like I say, I'm glad someone pointed out that being with, as John, being without water for three days is no small matter. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So he used the rod to split the water, to separate it. Yeah. And now he's supposed to, or he does use it, to bring it together, I guess. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Tanya has one. Mm-hmm. And think of how we are nowadays, three days without cable or Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, no kidding. No kidding. So what else, what are some of the obvious differences here between what, uh, Moses did and what God told him to do. Well, I have a little... Okay. Maybe looking back at Exodus 17 and 4. When Moses, or then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. <laughs> the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So it's something he had done before, yeah. and it may have just been, yeah, 
Exodus 17, 5. So the precedent, that's a good catch. The precedent of striking the rock, it's not like he invented that. Yeah, last time I needed water, I did that, and it worked fine. Yeah, that, I'll, even, I'll even buy that. I think God, this is my opinion, I think God might have been okay with that, but the words he used, the words he used are what really, really got him in trouble. John? So, what's the definition of a prophet? A prophet is someone who tells, he speaks for God. He speaks He's for God. He's speaking God's words. That's what I was going to say, yep. At this instance, it's not too hard to argue that he was a false prophet. He did not, yeah, because, well, the one that really gets me, at least in my version here, is, uh, you know, obviously Moses is, is bummed out about this. He's had enough of these guys griping all the time. And so he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? My point isn't to necessarily beat up on Moses. I like contrast. And who are we going to read about later? This rent-a-prophet called Balaam, not very much farther down the road. <laughs> rent-a-prophet. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> and he, well, everybody, you know, everybody is critical of him. But when he comes time to not say the words of Yah, he does say the words yeah, of Yah. Yeah, he does. That's so it's point. an interesting contrast. Yeah, that is an interesting contrast. Were you going to say something, Bobby? Okay. So anyway, I remember when I first read this story, and, and for a long time I kind of thought that God was being overly harsh on Moses here. But I don't know. I guess I can see his point. When I'm reading my version, and it doesn't say strike, it says um, for Moses to speak to the rock. Well, that's what I said. But oh, okay. That, so she, was reading, she was reading in oh, okay. Exodus. Gotcha. Okay. So, so what's interesting is, um, you know, I, I've learned that all form of matter, the smallest form of matter is a cork, which is, um, which is sound. And so when, when in the beginning God said, let there be light, and so it was. And so when God was commanding... Um, Moses to speak into the rock, uh, you know, because whatever you speak, that shall be done. Call a thing as though it were, and then it will be. And so he was calling him to speak forth what did not exist, but call it, cause it to come into existence because of his words. But I believe that um, I don't see Mo Moses being a false prophet, John, but I, what I see is he was a carnal in that moment. You know, he was, he was um, bringing forth the water. He was, you know, he was doing what the father said, but he was doing what, with carnality. Well, that could be. He, he was told to speak for God, and he didn't. Yeah, so, disobedient. But I'm not going to check him off my list for that, you know. Uh, Pat has something, John. You hang around with these guys for 40 years and don't do something <laughs> like this, right? Yeah, it's going to rub off on you. Did you already address the fact that he was putting himself somewhat equal with God in saying that must we? Yeah, that, that was what I was, I thought the we was the giveaway because he's basically taking credit for bringing forth the water. Well, also, um, I can't remember what I've heard before, but it had something to do with the symbolism of Yeshua was only struck once for our sins. And this is implied he's had to strike it twice. Mm-hmm which is not yeah. meant to be the same. You know, it's stuff like that just sends my mind off, off into, because 
why in the world did God go to the trouble to say he struck the rock twice? I mean, everything would have been just fine if they just took the word twice out of there. But God thought it was important that we know that Moses struck the rock twice. Someday I'm going to ask him. So the discrepancy is, <laughs> the discrepancy is, he, not only did he struck the rock, as opposed to speaking it, but he struck it twice. Well, I, mean, I don't know. He, no, no, I think, I think you could make all the same arguments we've made without the word twice there. Okay. All I'm trying to say is, what's that word there for? And I'm also saying at the same time, I haven't a clue. But I'm going to ask him. The real problem is that he said, he struck it, and he said, must we bring water out I thought, of this rock? I assumed we was me and Aaron, but you're saying it's Moses and God. No, I'm saying it's he and Aaron. You're going to know it once you get to heaven. You won't have to ask him. Okay, I already know. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's good. That's good. Don't have to waste my time asking. Maybe the water didn't come the first time it was struck. He had to strike it again. That could be. That could be. He struck it once. And he says, oh, my gosh, this isn't working. Quack, quack. There's a kink in the hose. Hit it right again. <laughs> well, I, I'm not trying to be flippant, but this is, what, what's your thought about this thing? I mean, how do you feel about this particular story? What do you think? Do you think, uh, do you think it's all fair? Do you think it's uh, uh, kind of harsh? What do you well, think? Well, I'm. Okay, go ahead. Tanya, after you. Maybe it's like John the Baptist. You know, he has to get out of the way from the Messiah to, you know. So this is kind of Moses. Moses, God. He, he needs to get out of the way for, for Yahushua, which yeah. is ironic. Yeah. So, so what, if I interpret what you're saying is, if this is God's way of telling Moses, you know, it's time for someone else to, to take this group over. Right, to pass the baton to the... the Joshua in this case. Right. Yeah. yeah, okay. Moses takes you up to the desert, but it's Yahushua who brings you in. That, that's not bad. That's not bad. I always thought it was, to me, it just seemed like even though Moses was disobedient and didn't do what he was asked to do, he wasn't taken out. He was allowed to continue mm -hmm. for his disobedience. Yeah, but on the other hand, it was a pretty harsh penalty because you can imagine, I mean, spending 40 years with these turkeys, he really wanted to see it through. <laughs> well, he's 120 years. Of yeah, that's true, too. I mean, I'd be ready. I would have retired 40 years ago if I were him. You'd probably have been happy <laughs> if you could have gone in just for a day or so. Yeah. I agree with John because I think that I think that Yahushua was a perfect um, picture of Yeshua, and it's going to be Yeshua that yeah. brings us into the kingdom. Uh, I, there's so. a, that's a nice picture. I like that. Yeah, I like it, yeah. too. Um, some of the reading that uh, I did on that, uh, the point was made that this was a way to uh, point out that God was not a, you know, God, see the word I'll use is fair. He was equitable, you know, Moses goofed up, Moses erred. So uh, this, this, is, this is what happens, you know, th this was the punishment for what you did. And uh, I'm not going to overlook it just because you're Moses. You know, did, uh, no rank has privilege here. This is, you know, this is, you're just like everybody else. I don't know whether I agree with that or not, but it kind of makes sense, you know. You could, I could turn that same thing around, though, and talk about all the times that, that God was so 
uh, I don't, I don't want to use the word lenient because that's not really the word I mean, but so merciful. That's the word I mean, exactly. He's so merciful to people. Like, I mean, the, the, the guy that always comes to mind when I think about that's uh, David. Yeah, David, man, that dude deserved to be zapped four or five times. And he, God kept him around because he was, quote, a man after my own heart, unquote. Yeah. So I just... <clears throat> go ahead. It isn't that he's indifferent about it. He, he yearns to go in. Moses does. Yeah. But um, Yahweh has enough and says, no, that's it. Yeah. It's, it's decided. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is not later necessarily on. clear here, but later we will find that Moses was, you know, he was, this was a punishment for Moses. He was disappointed. It's not like he's saying under his breath, well, shoo, man, I'm glad I'm over that job. <laughs> but in later, the, Yahweh says to him, you know, it is too much for you. Mm -hmm. So in a way, maybe he just, you know, he, he knew that there was somebody else that needed to take well, the... He, uh, yep, and we'll, we'll definitely give him credit for knowing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do, do you want to move on? Okay. Um, Comment over here. Okay. I was thinking maybe you were going to talk about this, so I was waiting, but... Isn't the bottom line, verse 12, why he didn't get to go in? It was because of his lack of trust or faith mm -hmm. that caused him not to honor him in the sight of the Israelites. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. How did what he, I mean, because I really don't quite get that. How did what he did show that he didn't trust God? That's what I thought you were going to talk about. Well, <laughs> let's, let's open that up. Because to me, uh, it's not like he thought he needed to strike the rock. Or maybe that's kind of what you were saying about the passage earlier. Maybe was, Moses was under the impression that, well, the way you get water out of rocks is you hit them. And when God said, speak to the rock, he just meant go ahead and hit it. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, yep, maybe. I was assuming that he was acting out of presumption. Now, is presumption lack of faith? Not necessarily. I don't think those are the same thing. Should, should the emphasis be on what Paulie read, not the lack of faith, but in front of the people? It's one thing to have lack of faith, and you can deal with it in private, but when you do that in front, you know, in, in, yeah, in the says, public. Yeah, that's a good answer, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Bold underline, in the sight of the Israelites. In Israel. the sight of the Israelites. Right. Well, he did, he did misrepresent. He, didn't, he wasn't obedient. There's no doubt about that. You know, because he kind of got creative with God's instructions. Right? Yeah, it does say, because you did not believe in me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, um, again, I think he kind of stood in place of, of Yahweh, and he just... You know, he didn't believe that if he just spoke. Well, you know, whatever. it occurs to he, me. Like John said, it's one thing to do that in private when you doubt, but it's another thing when you're yeah, doing it. Yeah, well, he was representing, the peop representing God to the people. He didn't do a good job. Tanya's got something. But it occurs to me that if <laughs> I know God has a sense of humor, but if I were God and Moses was over there beating on the rock, I just wouldn't let the water come out. And then he'd sit there and look kind of dumb, and God, then he could say in his booming uh, Alfonso voice, I told you to speak to it. 
Was was this where is was this Mirabah where this yes. was? Mm -hmm. So verse twenty four though, I know I'm jumping ahead. That's okay. But verse twenty four says, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people for for he shall not enter the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Mirabah. Yep. That mine says both of you. Yeah. So it's it's Aaron and Moses both. That. So this was an act. It was an act of rebellion. I mean, that's well, that's, what, that's what God what, says. Well, I don't know what the word. It no, might no, say no. I think that's fine. Hebrew, but. I think mine says the same thing. So the we there is. We. The we is not Aaron Moses and, and God. The we is Moses. Moses and Aaron. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not just on, on 13, verse 13. This is the water of Meribah because the children of Israel strove with Yahweh and he was sanctified. And so it was everybody, Moses, Aaron, and all of Israel. Yeah, that's a good point. That's <laughs> and a good it's point. interesting that he was sanctified in them. Here, it's like these waters here, after this... I guess grumbling and contention and everything that went on, uh, yeah, it was sanctified. Well, <laughs> yes, it, 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 it could also be yeah. that it didn't take long for the people to learn that Moses and Aaron were now not going to be able to lead right, them into the promised land, and, and why. Right. So, yeah. so the, their, their pun I don't know, I, I'm making this up, but their yeah. punishment may have become public, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, he was, God was made holy in front of the entire nation, including Moses and Aaron. Right. Yeah, that's, that's your point. And, that's a good point. And another, and another thing, I think uh, the 40 years, oh, that was a lot, that's a lot of work for Moses. <laughs> well, yeah. I, like, I, think, back, yeah, well, I think back at my work, at yeah. my work history, and it's like, yeah. oh, that, that was a lot of work. Yeah. But still, um, it's, um, you know, it's, it's something that, okay, now it's, it's the next generation that takes over and yeah. Yeah. continues the journey. Yep. Uh, that, um, yeah, that 40 years, I've thought about that because, Mo you know, a lot of times things just fall into nice little number patterns. Moses was 40 when he killed the Egyptian and had to flee, and he went to, you know, Mount Sinai Midian and found a wife and raised sheep for 40 years. So that's another third. And then God calls him out with a burning bush, says, go bring my people out. So he goes and gets the people out and wanders around the desert for 40 years. So that's how Moses ends up being 120. But if we, if we convert it to us, 75 years is my lifetime. So 25 years I did one thing, 25 years I did another thing. But it's still, it's a third of his life that he's wandered around the desert with these yo-yos. So three. Yeah. Yep. So three times, 40 is trials, right? Yep. 40 is testing so, and tribulation. So yeah. tr truth is established by two or three. And so three <laughs> times he was That's a good point. tested, I guess. Yep. yep. That's a good one. Why was Aaron included with Moses? Well, he, and he was. Yes, but why? Why was he? Uh -huh. Well, I don't know. The whole, the whole thing talks about the two of them. It says in verse 6, for example, it says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly. Um, it says in verse 2, 
Now there was no water in the community for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. So the whole story is told as if the, the people were not griping at Moses. They were griping at both of them. They were complaining to Moses and Aaron. Don't know what's gone on. It's been, if you believe my theory, 40 years, and maybe they're... But it was Moses who, who struck the, the well, rock. Well, it's pretty clear from the passage, though, that Aaron is complicit. To say nothing of that verse that you read over here um, in verse uh, 24, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give to the Israelites because both of you rebelled against my command. So, yeah, so uh, don't know why, but God holds them both responsible. I, I tell you the, what, I could make the argument on the other end that Aaron's gotten away with murder four or five times. Right. The Teflon priest lost his Teflon. Yeah. <laughs> Darn calf just popped out. <laughs> I like the emphasis of the fact that the world came into existence by the spoken word. Mm-hmm. By nature, we are people who want to do something. Mm -hmm. So in Ephesians, it tells us that we're saved by grace and not of works, lest we're able to boast. So going back to this, he could boast that an act, some action happened here and water came forth, um, where Yahweh is trying to emphasize the importance of the spoken words. That's good be. And that, that fits. So we didn't get a good answer to your question, though. Going back to 2012, mm -hmm. when it says, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, that could have been out loud for the whole congregation to hear it. Could have it. been. It could have been. Yep. And that's how he got credit for it, because the way they did it, God wasn't getting, wasn't getting any credit for it at all. Yep. Yep. That's a good point. So anyway, I think that's a pretty interesting story. Let's go on. We only have five minutes. What can we do in five minutes? Well, let's read this because um, we can read it. Now we have a cliffhanger or, you know, to see what happens. Tune in next week. Would somebody like to read from verse 14 through verse 21? That's only seven verses. Read the next seven verses. I'll read it. Thank you. I always like it when I get voted in. So, 2014, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, saying, This is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come down upon us. Our forefathers went down into Egypt, and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our fathers. But when we cried out to Yahweh... He heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, You may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. So the Israelites replied, we will go along the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we'll pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. And again they answered, you may not pass through. 
Then Edom came out against them with a large and powerful army. And since Edom refused to let them go through the territory, Israel turned away from them. So that's why I got the map, by the way. So here they are over here at Kadesh, and Edom is over here. Now, Edom can be thought of pretty much as modern-day Petra. Um, and there's no substitute for being over there. Petra, there's mountains. This, this whole valley here between the Dead Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba is uh, pretty lifeless, and it's, it's down at the bottom. Uh, I often talked about putting a garden hose. I was going to put one end of a garden hose here and drag it up here and suck on it and start a siphon because the Dead Sea is like 1,200 feet below uh, sea level, and you could, you could fill it up. I'm surprised they haven't done that. It wouldn't be that hard. It's only about oh, 60 miles from here to here. But anyway, um, so the, all the Israelites have been hanging around out here for 40 years, and they say, okay, it's time to go. So they're going to go up this way and then cross over and go into the, to the land of Israel. And so the first thing they come to is Edom. So they say, can we go through, go through your area? They say, no, right? So, and they obviously said no in such a forceful way that Moses not wanting to, I mean, he's probably not feeling real confident these days if I were him, but he says, okay, fine, we won't go. So they, instead of going like this, they basically kind of they go ask like, him, They like ask that. him twice. Yeah, they, they end up going around the outside of Edom. Uh, this thing he called the King's Highway is still there, by the way. The King's Highway goes from here um, just to the east of Petra, all the way up to, if I, I had a little bit more map up there, to the capital of Jordan, who just miraculously is named Ammon, right? Which is the ancient name of the people. Who knows who Ammon is? Do you know who is he? Who was Ammon? Son of uh, Lot? Yep, or? a son of Lot. Ammon and Moab both were sons of Lot, by his daughters. The mother and of all so bombs? The Moabites, beg your pardon? The mother of all bombs? Mother. Very good. The Moabites and the Ammonites uh, have lived in that, that area since, if you will, if you believe the Bible, have lived in that area since uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So anyway, Edom, on the other hand, why would, uh, why would Moses have called Edom his brother? Who's the, who's the, who is Jacob's brother that spent a womb with him for nine months? <laughs> who shared a womb with him? Who shared a womb who with him? Who shared a womb with Jacob for nine months? Brother Esau. Esau. And Esau became Edom, if you will. Just so. a reminder that uh, when you're reading this scripture that says the king of Edom came out to greet them and they met them with a big army, our brother Judas says they've been tracking Edom for millennia, and they say it's modern Italy. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. it's modern Italy now. Edom it is it? certainly today different than it was, obviously. I mean, Petra. Petra didn't exist at this time, for example. Yeah. Did it, did it say that he came out to meet Moses with a, with a large army? Yes, it did. It says... Uh, what does that it, remind you of? Jacob's returning back yeah, to the land. Esau. Esau says, I, he came up with 400 men. Yeah, Jacob's returning to the land. God's mm -hmm. with him. We're going to take him. All right. Well, uh -huh. by the way, there's 400 men with him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the, this, this starts so, off. So, Go ahead. Well, I, this is, I, 
Why does Esau say, no, 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 you're not coming through here? Why? Well, they don't. They don't trust. They know they. Uh, it's a, it's an ancient hatred. Family, yeah. Feud. Feud. Yeah. Yep. There's there's that between, to say nothing between of the Esau fact and Jacob. That this must have been. If you ask me, it's a pretty darned imposing sight to see a few million people hanging around down in a valley, living there. You know, and they say, "Oh, we'd just like to kind of come through your backyard." <laughs> yeah. Well, what's more impressive though, the the fact that they said, "No, you're not." Yeah. Well, yeah. Or, or them. You got six hundred thousand man, man army with God on their side with yeah, yeah. a history yeah, of. But, yeah, we'll find out that all of these guys up here, all of the the people up there, knew of their existence and basically didn't want anything to do with them. Well, but the difference was they went to war. Mo, yeah. Edom, Edom just says, "You ain't coming through." Yeah. Yeah. This is our sovereign land. Yeah. Too bad. Too bad. Tanya's got something. So. Oh yeah, well yeah, it's yeah, it's not it's not later in in relation to what we're talking about, but finally it does. Yeah, it, yeah. it they pay for not letting them oh, through. Yeah. They get yep. in big trouble for not. Okay. Yep. When, okay. When is that? We've gone over the Moabites do. So, um, if there are any closing comments, we'll hear them now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> okay, let me close in prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for your Torah portion tonight. Thank you for the fun of looking at it. Uh, please correct any misinterpretations or misimpressions that we might have and help us to just get the, the meat of your word. Help us to understand what it is you want us to understand, but help us to understand how much you love us and how you'd like us to behave. Take care of us. Bless us as we move through this week. Keep us safe until we meet again next week. In Yahushua's name, amen. Thanks very much. Thank you, Thank Jerry. You. Thank you. See you next week.